You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode number 212 of the Make It British podcast. Today I'm chatting with Deborah Lyons and Fiave Wetchi, who are the co-founders of a marketplace selling dead stock fabric called Last Yarn. So Deborah and Fiave spotted a gap in the market for having a service where designers or or manufacturers could sell unused fabric. And also, in turn, designers, students, and people that want to find fabrics in small, minimal quantities can buy them, making it much more sustainable to use up fabrics that would otherwise have gone to waste. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Piave and Deborah. Piave, Deborah, thank you so much for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. Delighted to have you on because you've got this marketplace selling dead stock fabric, which is such a useful thing for the whole industry. So before we really dig into that, do you both want to give us a little idea about your backgrounds and how you ended up getting into this? So Piave, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, Firstly, thank you so much, Kate, for having us. Um, We're really excited to be here. Um, So my background is actually in digital marketing. So I've spent the past probably almost a decade actually working in marketing, um, working specifically in interior design marketing. So the last role that I did before um, last year was with a company called Berta May. And actually they are sustainable in terms of the way that they produce their items. So they specialize in... um, in reclaimed tiles and all of their tiles are handmade. They know exactly where where it comes from. Um, And um, I also do stuff with nonprofits and um, heritage places and museums, making fashion, creative uh, education and pathways more accessible. And I also co-found a fashion research platform called Kelechi as well. Wow, you've been busy. And Deborah, I know you come from a design background, don't you? I so do, do you want to fill us in on wear, that? I'm a women's wear designer and historically also a shoe designer. Um, and I've always kind of, um, as far as the ready-to-wear element, I've always like produced locally and tried to you know, use fabrics that are meaningful and again, as much as possible locally sourced. But I think until you know, kind of the last few years, Um, even myself was kind of blissfully unaware of quite a lot of the impact of what I was doing, regardless of how local I was keeping it. Um, So I think it was just kind of like, as I started to scratch the surface, I started to realize how much, how many more things I needed to do and how impossible a task really it was. Um, And um, so, yeah, so I guess it kind of came through the mistakes that I've made along the the way with my supply chain that I was that that kind of we came together and like 
there are so many ways that we can solve this, um, especially now with te given technology. There are so many ways that we can solve this and make it fun and make it creative. So, so how, how did you come up with the idea? Did you know each other beforehand? Um, and and that, you know, how did you come up with the idea that it would be a marketplace to put all this to put this together and offer this service? Funnily enough, we met during COVID um, through, through a, a mutual contact. So we hadn't actually seen each other for a really long time. Um, yeah, the first you time have we, met now in real life. Yeah, now you? we've met in real life. Of, <laughs> yeah, but um, we 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 worked together throughout COVID. Um, the first time we met actually was when we went to one of our now suppliers. We went to actually visit their warehouse. And at the time, they had literally like stacks of fabrics. It was insane. Um, they had so many fabrics. Um, and we were literally walking through the fabrics. There were laces, taffetas from old collections. And, and the lady that was there was saying that she literally had a story for every single fabric. She remembers the collection that they used it for. She remembers the stories behind it. Some of the fabrics were over 30 years old and amazing wow. quality. Um, so that's the first time we actually met in real life. Um, and that was like a that, was, that felt like a bit of a school trip, um, wasn't it? Definitely did, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then you found, you discovered that this this place had all was it is it a manufacturer that had all these fabrics left over from all the clients they worked with or a They're warehouse? Actually, the oldest bridal business in the world, um, and they have um, ah. all these fabrics that they've basically just been you know like like me or like a lot of designers they get super attached to these things because they are meaningful to them like as Pierre said they remember the story behind each one so they don't just want it you know they they unlike others they won't just put this stuff in landfill or burn it so they've just been holding on to it because it is meaningful um, but then don't have a use for it so they basically decided to bring it all together, put it in a warehouse and, and find a use for it. And I guess that was one of the main proponents that was like, we can do this. You know, we have if, if these guys are willing to do this, we can we can do we can do our part. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, I get contacted all the time by people saying there must be dead stock fabric everywhere, you know, and I've been to manufacturers myself that have had lots of fabric that, you know, do you know anyone that will take this? And for factories, it's not easy for them to have someone coming in to take a metre here and a metre there. So do you want to explain a little bit more about how your service works and how you find make you know how does do you go from having this great big warehouse of fabric that exists in all these different places in this dead stock and then bringing that to the end user so with the marketplace idea exactly exactly what you you are saying the question that the designers and manufacturers kept asking us in terms of well where can we sell this or, or where can we give this away or, or where can we buy that's essentially what fueled us to think actually there are hundreds and thousands of people that are similar to this one supplier what if we bring them all together and there's one single place where people can 
find and source surplus. And so at the moment, it's a website. So you literally go onto the website, you can buy, you can browse, you can add things to your wish list so that you can plan out your collection. But in terms of the way that we actually source the fabrics um, or in terms of the way that we onboard the manufacturers, we do speak to each person individually just to find out um, about a bit about their background, where the fabric actually came from, to um, just double check that it is dead stock. Um, and we get some really interesting stories when we speak to people individually. Um, I we, like we personally actually enjoy meeting all the different people that we um, that we meet and the sellers. Um, and as a buyer, you can then buy on the website but I think the great thing is we've um, removed a min- minimum order quantity so there's no MOQs you can literally buy a meter up um, you can also sell a small quantity of fabrics as well so for example um, some of our suppliers only have 10 meters and they sell that on and there's obviously people that will benefit from having 10 meters worth of fabric there are also accessory brands and and even interior designers that maybe are making one or four smaller pieces that benefit from just having offcuts or dead stocks so i think also although yes we are primarily a fashion marketplace and sourcing from the fashion industry what we've noticed is actually there are loads of different people that make use of surplus as well does make you wonder why did no one do this before (laughs) what has been the biggest challenge for you two setting this up i would say there are examples of people doing this not here necessarily although there are like kind of like when you when you scratch the surface of the internet there are kind of like small small fabric stores that have kind of put their their their, their things online like Nissan and stuff like that um but I think the in terms of the marketplace in terms of bringing people together no I think Queen of Raw has maybe started to do that in America but obviously the 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 market is tremendously different in America and the availability of fabrics and the resources and, than in the UK and in Europe um also in terms of just what we, we we've produced locally um so I think, why has no one done it before? I don't know. I think, funnily enough, a lot of brands have shied away from talking about their excess and talking about their waste and, and hidden it for so long that um, yeah. it's kind of denied that there's such a massive value in sitting in their warehouses that even for them, I mean, forget the sustainability element of it, they're sitting on on some of them millions of pounds of value. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, they could... In today's market, there's obviously, you know, you get Gucci who are playing with their archives. You get LVMH who have their surplus site um, now. So you do get these main major players who, who are actually now using that as something that is is, is part of their storytelling. But I think um, I think it's taken so long for that mindset to start to shift. At, and, and I think hopefully, you know, we're coming along at a time where we can be a solution to make it easy for the people who haven't quite got their heads around it to suddenly see why aren't we doing this? We can help or at least not hurt and we can, you know, benefit potentially or, or, or have at least a charitable side, to it, which we ha- we do have, um, we'll touch on after, but um, we do have a charitable side to this as well. So, it, you know, you can so, even see it as offset in some capacity. So will you be reaching out to some of the big brands? I mean, I'm thinking particularly, you know, people like Burberry that have got mills here, they were you know, very famously um, all over the press for 
burning dead stock. Um, will you be reaching out to these big brands and asking them if they'd like to list on the platform? And how does that process work between them saying, yes, fine, come to our mill, take it away? That's, there's quite a labor-intensive process there, surely, if you're, especially if you're going from hundreds of meters right down to selling someone one meter. How, how does that whole process work? And how long does it take? Well, funnily enough, actually, we find that the big brands, um, the, the conversation we tend to have with them is around our um, nonprofit side, which um, Deborah's touched on, the last John Academy, where actually I think bigger brands, because one of the biggest issues with um, well-known brands and especially well-known prints is there is still that mindset of giving away or kind of selling off prints you know obviously we know traditionally yeah. people would rather destroy that because it's it's your ip you don't want that to fall into the wrong hands or competitors etc so that's still an ongoing conversation in the industry but um when we do reach out to big brands they are very happy to work with our last john academy so offsetting some of the fabrics donating them and um, we do have to have a process for printed fabric so we are aware that this is something that we have to work with the industry towards in terms of okay what happens to a fabric with ip or printed fabrics that goes into a separate pot um maybe it's not directly sold if you don't want to but um to sell it but then you can um donate them and there are other uses for um putting your fabric to further use and make sure that it's actually reused as opposed to just completely destroyed. Um, so when you do go on our, our platform, you get your own portal. You literally are in control of your fabrics. You can put up whatever you want. You can put up as many wow. meters as you want as well. So you do have your own section. Um, it's almost like a shopping shop. So you, you ah, can control okay. your, your inventory essentially. And, um, we will then have a section where you can then choose to donate. So actually, even at the moment, we do bring together designers and um, some of our like charities or universities and schools that are looking for surplus and we bridge them together and we are developing technology to make that process more seamless. Ah, amazing. So anyone then who has maybe, you know, bought a high order of fabric, maybe more, got, you know, there was an MOQ that they didn't really need 100 metres, they only really needed 20, but they were kind of, you know, thought, oh, maybe, you know, sales will, sales will go well and I'll use all 100 metres later on and then they don't. So they can create their own profile on your platform, upload the remaining fabric. Do they then handle shipping out each metre or do they send it to your warehouse? Well, they do. Um, we ask that, I mean, because it's a marketplace, that's kind of the premise of it. However, um, we do have a small warehouse and a small uh, the, the capacity to hold small volumes of fabric. So we try to keep that conversation open and we try to help the designers or the sellers with what they need. Um, and obviously, we'll be building out our services as we grow as well. Um, but at the moment, it is more based around the marketplace premise, which is you cut and ship as you get orders, which, uh, to be honest, again, with some of the bigger brands that we were talking about, they actually have the facility, like we were speaking to someone the other day, they have the facilities in place, you know, they have people in the sample room, they can do that. Yeah, so it actually makes sense for them to do it from their warehouse rather than to have us house it when they already have those facilities. Yeah. So is it just the two of you? Managing the whole platform at the moment. 
Yeah, so at the moment, it's the two of us and we do have um, a very small team of people that help us out with um, content, photography and things like that. And also um, our bigger supplier is also helping us quite a lot with our, um, in terms of partnership. Um, again, they are helping us with the studio. So we do have people that are part of this and we've got an amazing web developer as well who literally whenever we've got a suggestion a suggestion we're always sending him screenshots and 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 things and and he's ready to help so we are very lucky to be surrounded by a team of very helpful um people because again you can't really do a project like this on your own um but yeah but at the moment me and deborah are the co-founders Brilliant. Well done. I say it's such a needed thing in the industry, making that connection between that dead stock fabric and then the people that can actually use it. And there are so many more designers now that don't necessarily want to use virgin materials, as it were, but that are happy to use dead stock. So how does the pricing work? Does the designer come up with their or whoever owns the fabric come up with their own pricing and how much they want that to sell that material for? Yeah, we let the sellers decide. Um, obviously, there are um, some people who, you know, there, there, there are potentially people who will come to us and ask for our advice on that, and we will advise, but um, we we let the sellers decide. Actually, uh, you know, our price point pretty much are, are very good, and most people would rather sort of sell their fabric than overprice it. On the other hand, we also have people, I mean, we have people who come in with amazing fabrics and we have, for example, people who have come in with specialty, specialty fabrics that they've developed and they don't want to lose money on, on selling them, you know, for whatever reason. So we, 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 we do let it go case by case. And, um, and obviously mm. we, we see the value in the product anyway. So as long as we have a range, we, you know, we want to have a, a good range. Yeah. And how do you keep the photography consistent? You can tell I've got all the technical questions here. How how do you manage to, to keep the, the photography, you know, the actual, because it's difficult, isn't it? You know, I know a lot of manufacturers, the mills that make fabric, and it's difficult to really get an understanding of what a fabric is like and on a computer screen. How are you managing to kind of keep consistency there? Honestly, that is, yeah, we spent, that's why we spent such a long time developing this platform because the the main um, behavior, I think actually um, being COVID has changed a lot in terms of behavior mindset because fabric is something that people traditionally, you wouldn't really think about buying fabric. You want to touch it. Yeah, exactly. You'd go to your nearest fabric shop. I would travel to my fabric shop to get my fabrics. And yeah, you want to feel it. You want to know what you're getting. Actually, since COVID, obviously a lot of these um, shops were closed and people, I mean, there was a massive rise in, um, buying online and buying fabrics online and I know even for example students having to just buy their fabrics online and and create their collection based on whatever they've got and I think that has changed people's mindsets on shopping online for fabrics but one thing that's very very important is obviously being very true to life so we've worked with a lot of like color specialists photographers and um we've um figured out you know how to use daylight to um match the color um loads of, of equipment and tech and like different we've literally played around with lighting so much over the past um few months that we've been working on this um to 
make sure that it's true to color. But obviously we can't really control um, what people upload. So we do have a guide for all of our suppliers to follow in terms of how to photograph in your studio or how to photograph at home. We've got tips from our color specialists and from our um, photographers um, that have literally matched the fabrics to the exact to the T uh, on how to recreate that at home or in your studio as well. So um, again, we are very amazing with the fact that you know it's some people are going to have fabrics that they've taken from their studio, but we're constantly having conversations with suppliers in terms of is it true to to color. We also visit a lot of our suppliers as well um and and yeah so there's a lot of hand-holding that happens at the beginning and then um once they're ready then um yeah they become specialists in their own rights too so well I suppose someone could just buy a meter couldn't they and then see how it looks when they receive that meter I mean that is the that's because that's the other challenge for um for new designers and you would know this yourself Deborah or anyone who is making in small quantities because they don't want to make in volume and risk not selling it all is that getting hold of fabrics with low minimum order quantities so you're also solving that problem as well aren't you well, this is the thing. We're solving the problem. And then also, if you order it, you can, and even if you order four meters and you only want, you know, a meter in the end, you can resell on our site. You can resell the three meters that you have left over. So, um, yeah, we, we see ourselves as a solution to that. And to be honest, the amount that if you're going to use your meter of fabric that you get, the amount that you get in, in shipping swatches around from Italy to London or France to London or whatever that looks like, you know, you're, you're a costing a fortune, and b obviously the the, the emissions and and whatever, and you don't get anything that's usable for it. You just have more waste. So um, yeah. So just obviously, this is the Make It British podcast, and people who are listening to this will probably want to know what percentage of the fabrics that you're likely to be selling on there will actually be woven or or knitted in the UK. I know that's how long is a piece of string probably question, but have you reached out directly to any UK woolen mills or knitting mills or anything like that to, to get them on board? And will there be, um, is there a way on your site of seeing which what the country of origin is? Yeah, there actually is actually. We've got a country of Yay. origin tag and we tell all of our suppliers have made it mandatory to fill that out. Because um, again, it, you need to know, especially with the changes in imports um, and exports now, you have to know where your fabrics come from. But um, in terms of a percentage, we can't quite say. I mean, I'll let Deborah um, carry on because I know you've had some interesting conversations with um, UK mills, but um, like a, a group that I speak to all the time, all the time our fiber shed and they do a lot of work on um really promoting uk based um manufacturing and and you know wool and um fabrics and textiles are actually produced in the uk and of course we're we are circulating fabrics that are in the uk but we're also aware that a lot of dead stock comes from other places around the world as people have collected it over time um but at the moment, we make sure that we've got the kind of, if it's if it's made in the UK, you can see it's right there on the product page. Um, but yeah, Deborah, I'll let you go on because I know you've had some really interesting conversations with um, UK Fabrics and you work with Tweed yourself. So, Oh yeah, Wait, go on, fill me in then, Deborah. We already have some Linton Tweed on the site. And I would say actually... Oh, amazing. Just in, in volume terms, I would probably say that at the moment, even as that where we're at, 
you know, without having many supplies because we're not even, you know, just about to go live. Um, I would say already about somewhere around 15% of our fabric volume wise is made in the UK. Um, but yeah, we will definitely be talking to places like Linton, um, like, you know, Harris Tweeds. Um, we definitely want to have a heritage section. And we've talked a lot about having that heritage beyond even being able to search by um, just what country it's made and actually talk about heritage fabrics and, and, and the meaning behind that, which I think is very make it British, really. Um, so we'd love to talk Excellent. to you more once we get to the, the proper build out of that. But yeah, that's something, again, local. Obviously, the more we can promote local, that's really important to our messaging as well. Yeah, and also well, actually, any UK. Yeah, Sorry, Carol. No, I was just going to say what I would suggest actually um, for people to do is to look at our fabric impact glossary, which is essentially a glossary of um, fabrics and the impact that they have on the environment. So we are building that up oh, constantly, brilliant. but um, the. The good thing about some of the newer fabrics that are being produced is that, especially with biomaterials, a lot of them are being produced in the UK. So in the future, we are having conversations with some of these mills and, and manufacturers that are um, creating new materials um, and and hopefully we have more of those on as well. But definitely have a look at the, the glossary and that has more information on different fabrics. I was going to ask that because as well as the fact that the fabric is dead stock, everyone wants to be more sustainable. And it's almost like a given now if you're making fashion in the UK, you need to sort of state what your sustainability credentials are. So how will you make that, and you've probably answered that question there, um, easier for people to find out, you know, what is the provenance of each individual product in terms of what is its impact um, on the environment, not only you know where you've got it from but in its initial creation so you're doing that through your glossary is there any other ways in which you're doing that and how are you kind of tracking it well actually what we would like to do is do a partnership with um good on you app and actually qr code each one of our fabrics so each one of our fabrics can be tracked right through to when it arrives at your door and you can literally just see like as much information as much provenance as we have on each one um I think we came to the decision that keeping fabric out of landfill and actually solving that solution is one big part of the solution, but not the be all and end all, as, you, as you're saying. So I think actually the impact glossary is really important in our messaging throughout, you know, how we're going to talk about fabrics on our uh, on our Instagram, how we're going to talk about fabrics when we do newsletters, how that's kind of what we want to do is really let you know what it is that you're using, what you're putting against your skin is just as important as what we're putting it into the oceans, you know? Um, so I think um, we do want to let people know, but primarily get these things out of landfill, find use for them. Let's extend their lifespans. And let's also look at w what these things are and why we should stop making them, why they should, yeah. you know, who these things needs to end. Um, and, yeah, and, and viable alternatives, as PRV mentioned, like what what are the viable alternatives that are now? There's a huge amount of innovation, even locally, that's going on. That's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned um, earlier on about community and you know making this platform a place for people to come together, and also the charity aspect. Do you want to explain that in a little bit more detail now? Yeah. So um, Last Run Academy essentially is our um, we see it as like, it's like our social um, initiative. Uh, essentially, it's a place where we collaborate with 
charities and schools, unis to allow for any surplus fabrics um, to be given to these places. So one thing that we found is that there are um, emerging students, um, often sometimes it's the cost of art school, um, there's a lot that you have to buy, um, it can be very expensive, um, but also just um, with um, colleges, secondary schools, Often they are working with pro on projects and need fabrics. Um, and also there are loads of charities that do amazing work with um, actually teaching people how to mend or teaching people how to sew and really reinforcing, um, you know, the relationship that we naturally have with textiles and our clothes. So for us, it's really important that we can also fuel that conversation if we can or give um if we can and also the fact that I can say it's already happening on a very minicule um like you mentioned Burberry they they do give some of their fabrics away so essentially it's just for us to facilitate that and make it easier so schools and colleges can literally sign up on our platform and whenever we've got tons of fabrics or bags of fabrics that they can use, they can then arrange for that to happen. And it literally just Amazing. is a pain for the cost of delivery. So, um, so yeah, and obviously we do Excellent. things like student discounts. Um, and also we are, we work with certain, un with some universities and we actually do collaborative projects with students as well. And it just helps them to get their profile out there. Obviously it's not easy, especially in the fashion industry, um, going from education and um, then going into kind of the real world of fashion. There's quite a lot. Um, it's quite a, a it, it's not like, you know, we've, we've becoming a lawyer for example there's almost like a hand-holding process that happens whereas actually a lot of not in um, fashion yeah it's kind of you know like DIY so um so really <laughs> it's it's just facilitating that transition um but also whilst there are loads of amazing quality fabrics that people are more than happy to just give away we've spoken to loads of designers that maybe are just clearing out their studios um and often the, sometimes the fabric is it's not still good quality, but maybe not good enough to manufacture. Maybe it's just a bit dusty or maybe it's been creased or folded in a certain yeah. way. So for fabric that's still usable, but maybe um, not ideal for maybe production, then fabrics like that go away. But also actually some people have fabrics that they are just willing to just give to, to someone. Amazing. So, yeah, and then the more we can teach people to sew and making that as easy as possible for schools to get hold of materials, then that, yeah, brilliant, amazing. So if um, if someone's listening to this and they are wanting to add fabrics to your platform, it could be, um, you know, a UK textile manufacturer that has fabrics in bulk. How do they go about that? So fill us in. How do they get their fabrics listed on Last Yarn? Just literally go onto the website, um, go to become a seller and send us an email and um, we can make it happen pretty much same day. Uh, we just need to oh, kind of okay. know who they are, you know, what, again, as you said, uh, where it's coming from. And um, if we need to do, you know, a visit to the studios, we can. Um, but otherwise we can we can pretty much just set, set, get them set up straight away. And it's very easy. The process of uploading is very easy. It's super like 
I did it, which is saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, because I remember going to see a textile chap in Leicester and he was moving premises and he it was a Friday afternoon and he literally said to me, Kate, do you know anyone that can take this? I'm like, I'm sure, you know, if I ask around, there's going to be people that be interested, loads and loads of jersey fabrics. And he went, oh, no, it's got to go tomorrow, like Saturday. They'd need to come with a lorry and clear the whole lot out. So if we get someone like that again, if I'm – find it have that sort of a conversation you're gonna can you turn up and uh, and help them move the fabric send them our way please Deborah's Kate, nodding yeah. brilliant <laughs> stronger than me, <laughs> you might regret saying that that's amazing though because this whole you know the whole service and this platform the more that people use it then the more worthwhile it becomes to everyone doesn't it because you get a bigger variety of fabrics and materials on there and i presume as well a huge a much bigger range of price points because you've got your very luxury fabrics that you're getting from the designers but there might also be things which are like you say things that students can start out with using we want to build out a haberdashery so that we also have shoulder pads buttons you know everything that you need ah. that goes into so we want to expand that into sort of everything that you need to make a finished garment. But obviously, you know, f getting the fabrics is stage one and, and hopefully yeah. over the next few months we'll start to see a lot, a lot more coming. Mm -hmm. I'm sure lots of brands have got dusty boxes of zips Athens. sitting around where they bought a, a, lot, a lot of zips and realised they needed a different length and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's even, great. Yeah, if you're recycling clothing, like the buttons, like, they don't get recycled. They just get ripped off and thrown yeah. away. No one ever thinks about zips, buttons, all these things. So it's yeah. actually, you know, like. Yeah. Wow. You've got your work cut out, girls. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so where, where can people find you? So it's literally on www.lastyarn.com. So, yeah, and you're on, um, so we're on Instagram, Instagram well. yeah, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us on LinkedIn as well. Um, yeah, so we're, we're pretty much on all of the main social media platforms. So. Brilliant. And is there anything um, that you would like to say that you'd like to close on? Anything that you'd like to um, mention before we go? Um, I would also say another thing is uh, we're also building out something called Last Young Curators and we speak to different people in the industry and we ask them, we've got a few questions um, that we ask people and we ask them to select their favourite fabric. So, um, for example, one of the questions is uh, cashmere, cotton uh, or silk and um, it's a series of questions and it just helps us to get to know people in our community a bit more and it's, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be people that are... Um, directly related to fabrics but we also have people that maybe are activists or people that um you know care about climate change um journalists designers you know pads cutters uh people that are in the industry with voices um we um, just look out for that because it's it's really interesting meeting or hearing about different people and reading um, about them too and also if you want to become a curator what I was going to say. Ah. I was going to say. Hopefully, you can find Kate. On I'd love to be a curator. So yes. I'm going to throw that. I'm going to throw that question back to both of you then to close on. Cashmere, cotton, or silk? Deborah, you go first. I think of so many different things when you ask me that. Um, cashmere <laughs> and silk for the feeling. Um, but ugh, I don't know. They both have environmental impacts. <laughs> they all have environmental impacts. I would say. Um, yeah, I don't know. Silk, silk. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Yave, what about you? Um, if I had to pick, it would be cashmere. Um, it's prob- I'm probably influenced by this cosy jumper. And I'm totally um, a cashmere girl. Yes, <laughs> I, I just love, uh, yeah, warmth. I love warmth. Um, and and yeah, I, I do love, um, especially when it's when it's done um, sustainably, like you know, wool and yeah. I'm, I'm I, thought, I would say I should probably, you know, I would naturally say cashmere because I love cashmere. I've got hundreds of cashmere jumpers. But really, if we're talking about UK textiles, we should say cotton, seeing as cotton weaving and the Industrial Revolution started here. And also, that's why I said wool as well, because of the UK. <laughs> yeah. And cotton, if done, if done right, cotton is the most environmentally friendly of all when, when done right. So, yeah. Local, when done, right. British cotton I, is our favourite then. <laughs> but I thought cotton produ- uses a, a lot of water in its production, it uses though. a huge amount of water, but there are now new technologies that A, can um, reuse water, B, also obviously like recycle cottons and things like that are, are really going to be ideal. But there are better ways of making cotton. It's obviously got huge, it's got big impacts on land and things like that, but... Um, if done right, cotton in theory doesn't have it's it's vegan, so it doesn't have a direct yes. animal impact unless unless we count the biodiversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's all oh, tricky. Surplus cotton is what we need. <laughs> yeah, surplus yeah, exactly. cotton and, and pure. If you can recycle it as well, essentially recycled cotton, um, no mixes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Deborah Piave, you've both been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me on the Make It British podcast. Um, I hope that you uh, have so many people that will come to use your website that will see the value and the service that you're offering because, yeah, it's amazing. There's now a place in the UK where people can buy dead stock fabric. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Friday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. Many of the interviews that you hear on series four of this podcast are also available to watch on our YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com forward slash Make It British LTD. That's Make It British with the letters LTD. Bye bye. Bye.